We live in a day where Calvary is no longer preached. The very thing that made us free has become some kind of monument somewhere in the backside of nowhere. Even now in our pulpits they've grown so cold and we don't have to wonder why our country is in the shape that it's in. Even amongst Bible believers, secondary things have become pushed to the forefront as if to eclipse the very thing that brought us here in the first place. I'm sure thankful for Calvary this morning. I know in the Christian life there's much more than Calvary. But we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Calvary. And I hope you never forget Calvary. Take your Bible this morning if you would. I'd like to make a divine detour. I know I've been preaching through Joshua. I know we're like right 60% of the way through, but I feel it necessary to go to the book of Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1. We will come back because the next thing on the list is Caleb, and Caleb wants that mountain. So you'll have to, you'll have to turn it to Nehemiah there. Sorry about that. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 1 this morning. Back in 2019, we had preached through the book of Nehemiah. But I'll say this, the Lord has grown me and he's changed me uh, quite a bit in four years. And I know he's changed you too. Amen. Sometimes we forget that about each other. Uh, sometimes we lack the grace with each other because we don't think that they've grown. But have you grown spiritually? Then everybody else should be growing spiritually too. Nehemiah chapter 1 this morning, I'd like to try to give you what the Lord's put on my heart. We begin here in verse number 1, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. That's kind of a tricky book there. Oh, let's see here. There you go. You got it. Well, that's close. <laughs> if you turned to Ezra, nobody would have known. Amen. <laughs> you say, why you got a big Bible up here? And Because we think it's important. Amen. We're here because of a book, we're here because of the blood, and we're here because of the blessed hope. Would you stand this morning? I'd like to read us uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year as I was in Shushan the palace. That Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant, that's the Jewish remnant there, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. So here in verse 8, they're scattered. We've been preaching through Joshua. They just got the land in Joshua. And then victorious, and now they're going in to possess the land. We're going ahead roughly about a thousand years. And in a thousand years, they're scattered. Jerusalem's a mess. Kind of reminds me of the Christian life many times. Man, you get going, you get clipping along. You're living on the mountain. <laughs> you and the Lord are like that. And the next thing you know, it's a mess. And that's where Jerusalem's at. That's where Israel's at. Verse 9 says, he continues his prayer. He says, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though you were of, uh, I'm sorry, though, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I've chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Brother Jared, would you ask the Lord's help in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. Maybe seated here. I believe everyone knows this morning that the number one job of the Christian is to put a smile on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while it sounds simple enough to do, it becomes a very difficult task at times. Life happens. Life gets in the way. Our priorities become jaded. They get switched around. We take on burdens and things happen to us. And the next thing you know, putting a smile on our Savior's face unfortunately seems to be one of the last things that's important to us. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 reveals what you already know. We sang it in Sunday school that we were created for His pleasure. Amen. We were not created to build a kingdom. We were not created to build an empire. We are not created to uh, establish financial security and to put our roots down. After all, as Christians, we're just passing through. This is our temporal dwelling place. And amen to that. And I'm not saying you can't have a nice place to live and you can't drive a nice thing. I'm just saying this is not the end of all things. Thank God for that. Because <laughs> if it is, what a disappointment. <laughs> I've been around just long enough to know that all this world seems to do is conflict with me. And no matter what I have, it's not enough. The flesh is never satisfied. And no matter what I try to do for Jesus Christ, it seems to be met with resistance. One of the greatest uh, assurances of salvation that you can have as a Christian is that daily internal conflict. That there's like a fight going on. I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your Christian life. The fight that goes on. You want to do right, 
but you really don't. But you really do, but you don't. And then you want to, and then you, you see what I mean? Uh, back in, I think it was around the 30s or 40s, they come out with a book called Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> that summarizes the life of the Christian. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and some days, you man, you're just a polished man with a suit or a shirt and a tie or a skirt and a dress or however you look, and next thing you know, you're just a stinking monster. That's the flesh versus the spirit. But here in Nehemiah chapter 1, you see the story here in Nehemiah, the narrative, Nehemiah gets the bad news. And you and I, uh, we've gotten some bad news over the years, amen? Some bad news changes your life forever. Sometimes you get that phone call at about 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning, and life seems to rock and to reel from bad news. So Nehemiah gets the bad news, and he's faced with an overwhelming sense of grief. Grief is a real thing, and for those who think that everything's happy in Jesus, uh, uh, you're smoking crack. But grief is a real thing, and he's got guilt, and he's got grief for his own nation, while yet sensing the graveness of the situation at hand. Now, I see there's some things that Nehemiah could have done this morning, and I'm trying to go somewhere with it. Instead of formulating a plan that would accelerate his ambition, no doubt Nehemiah was ambitious. Uh, he could have uh, made a plan that accelerated his ambition. He could have made a plan, and in that plan, he could have anchored his resources. After all, he worked at the palace, right? And it also could, that plan that he could have made right on the spot when he got the bad news, it could have showcased and it could have gave attention to his abilities. After all, he's the king's cupbearer. <laughs> That's a good and a bad, right? Because if someone wants to try to get to the king, they might just throw something in there and then <laughs> you do your job and, oh, there you go, see you later. Nehemiah, he passes uh, the test here. He pauses and he prays, and he provides the Lord with time to reveal the true need. And that's what I want to preach about this morning. Too many Christians approach life as if they are the fix to life's problems. Uh, sorry about the uh, pop culture reference here. Too many Christians think they really are Bob the Builder. But at the end of the day, they turn more into a Wreck-It Ralph. Amen. We think many times that we can fix life's problems, but you just make a mess of it. And you ever stop and think that before you attempt to put any fix or apply the glue that adheses things together for the glory of God, that you first of all have to realize what the true need is? You ever stop and consider that in the Christian life you really don't know what the need is? You ever wonder why you don't know, like... You want to do something, you're frustrated, you want this, you want that, and it's just, it's, just, it's just not the right thing. And it's because many times Christians cannot recognize the need. But I see here in this passage, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you and I a few things. Let me say this, Christians often get in a hurry instead of getting a hold of heaven. And so the Holy Spirit wants to teach you and I this morning how to recognize the need. I'll say this, you'll never be able to recognize the need without learning this biblical principle in front of you. The local church over the years has had crowds of Christians come through and they wanted to do something that they possibly did somewhere else. They wanted to do something they thought they were good at. Or they want to do something that just happens to line up with their skill set or their abilities. 
But that's not how you recognize the need. Can I say that without being a jerk? That's how you recognize yourself. Here at the local church level and here in building your life for Jesus Christ, we're to recognize Jesus Christ. God brings sheep to a local church and many times people often get the cockeyed idea, if I could say it like that, that the sheep are brought here to shimmer and shine. But God did not bring you here to shine. The Lord brought you here to get fed. See, Jesus Christ, He is the bright and morning star. He is the real star. He is the star of the show. And you would understand that when I say that. But many times in the Christian life, in the local church, in our dealings with people, there are so many bright lights and there are so many stars and there are so many superstars that Jesus Christ can never be seen. And Christian, you cannot recognize the need this morning if you're just doing what you've always done. You know the old adage says, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you always got. One fellow likens it to being on a treadmill into oblivion. Now, while some of us might benefit from being on a treadmill, I don't want to be on it the rest of my life. Amen? The Lord doesn't bring you here to shine. He brings you here to get fed. But I want to preach this morning about being able to recognize the need. The Lord brings you and I here to this place to live a life, to build something for Him, so we can not only get fed, but to please the chief shepherd. That's why we're here. But if you and I are going to be able to recognize the need, and you might think that this message is disjointed, but maybe it's because you don't even recognize the need that you have. But if you're going to be able to recognize the need in the Christian life, can I say, first of all, according to our passage this morning, it's going to commence with routine duty. It's going to commence with routine duty. Look at verse number 1. He says, I was in Shushan, the palace. Now look at verse 11, the very last part of the verse. For I was the king's cupbearer. Let me say, if you're going to recognize the need in your Christian life, it's going to commence, that just simply means start, with routine duty. Nothing else. It commences with routine duty. Can I say this in verse 1? Routine duty puts you in the right place at the right time. Amen? Routine duty puts you in the right place at the right time. In verse 1, the right place for Nehemiah to be is the palace. Why? Because that's where he works. <laughs> Pretty simple this morning, isn't it? It's the right place and the right time in verse 1. That Bible there gives you the exact month and it gives you the exact year. Let me tell you what, when you're dedicated and you start and you give attention to routine duty, it puts you in the right place at the right time. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about, am I in the right place? Yes, I am. Why? I'm simply doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Christian, in your Christian life, are you given to routine duty? See, look, too many Christians trying to figure out all the deep, dark things and this person's problem and that person's problem. But hey, are you simply doing your duty? It puts you in the right place at the right time. I think of Esther. Esther was in the right place at the right time. And this isn't chance, by the way. You've, you've, you've heard that said, oh, man, I was in the right place at the right time, probably because you were doing what you're supposed to be doing. Over there in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, uh, you, know, you know the storyline behind there. Uh, all the Jews are supposed to get killed. They're supposed to uh, be destroyed. And uh, Mordecai says, for who knoweth that thou art come to the kingdom for such 
a time as this. Routine duty puts you in the right place at the right time. Can I give you credence this morning? Can I give you kudos? A pat on the back, right? It's better than a kick in the shorts, amen? You're in the right place at the right time today. What a blessing that is. That God wants you here and you came. You say, well, I know people that want to come, but they couldn't. I'm <laughs> Look, there's exceptions that prove the rule every day, but you're in the right place and it's the right time. Esther 4.14 says, for such a time as this, I think of Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 17 where the Lord's trying to get a hold of His people. He says, I have called unto them, but they have not answered. You ever try to get a hold of somebody? <laughs> Pick up. Well, there's a reason for that. They're not in the right place to take the call. I wonder how many times the Lord has tried to get your attention or get my attention, and He's like, Pick up, Evans. And I'm like, ignore. <laughs> I know y'all never done that before, especially with the Lord. Just, just, just your aunt, right? <laughs> right? Or just, you know, just that neighbor that takes. A, everyone's got someone they know that takes an hour. And so when you go to answer a call, you're like, I do or do not have this amount of time to speak to that person. <laughs> and if you don't, you're a liar. <laughs> Amen. Uh, oh, everyone goes, oh yes, I want to talk to you, preacher. <laughs> right? He says, I've called you, have not answered. I've called, you have not answered. There was, the time was the 19th of May in 1780. The place was Hartford, Connecticut. The day went down in New England history as a terrible foretaste of Judgment Day. You say all the way back then, all the way back then. For at noon the skies turned from blue to gray, and by mid-afternoon they had blackened over so densely that in the religious age men fell on their knees and begged a final blessing before the end came. It was probably an eclipse. The Connecticut House of Representatives was in session, and as some men fell down and others clamored for an immediate adjournment, the Speaker of the House, one named Colonel Davenport, came to his feet. He silenced them and said these words, The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought. <laughs> I'd rather be doing my duty. Listen, you're never going to be able to figure out the need in your life unless you begin with routine duty. It puts you in the right place at the right time. Can I tell you this? The old preacher said this, and boy, does it ring true. There's a million, millions of Christians out there. They are looking for the will of God. You will never find the will of God. It always finds you, and it only finds you on the road to duty. This bunch of tomfoolery, I'm trying to find what God wants me to do. You've got a Bible that says exactly what you need to do now. Just do what it is your duty to do, and the will of God will find you. I'm tired of hearing churches and preachers preach about, one day you'll know the will of God. Baloney. You're either doing the will of God now, or you're not. It commences with routine duty. Not only does it put you in the right place at the right time, notice in verse 1, routine duty puts you around the right people. And that's important these days. You and I need to be around the right people because let me tell you what, there are sure enough times in our life we've been around the wrong people. Verse 1, the right people to be around was Hanani, or however you say that, Hanani, or Hananana, or whatever, whatever, and certain men it says there. That's the right people. Routine duty puts you around the right people. 
Now that routine duty puts you in front of the right pieces of information. Notice it's not chance. It's just called routine duty. I hope this isn't too boring. Man, this is so simple. Even someone like I could get it. Look at verse 3. The Bible talks, says, talks about the remnant and those that are in great affliction. That's the piece of information that Nehemiah needed to get. Let me tell you what. Uh, when we had our song service this morning, the girls sang. And, and uh, of course, when uh, the, the special music goes on, it always breaks my heart. And, and I just said, Lord, I know you're bending close to us now. Let me not do anything to run you off. I wonder how many times the Lord's tried to get a hold of you or me. Just not in the right place. Not around the right people. And see, look, you say, well, it's not a big deal. Uh, if I'm not here or something, it'd be okay. You think so? You can't get the right information if you're not at the right place. You can't be around the right people if you're not at the right place and it all because it commences with routine duty. I know this is really simple this morning, but Christians today, by the carloads, have stopped giving themselves to routine duty because they're bored. The killer of all Christians is routine duty. Get up, read your Bible, pray, go to the church house if you're physically able to go, quit making excuses about it, and just do your duty. Well, what about God's going to do this and God's going to do that? Yeah, and Santa might come down the chimney. Do your duty! It commences with routine this booty, uh, duty this morning. Can I say number two? Not only does it commence with routine duty, but it continues on with the right demeanor. It continues on with the right demeanor. In verse 4, the Bible says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Ain't that something? A right demeanor. Routine duty, then a right demeanor here. Verse 4, he hears the news, he weeps. How's your spiritual thermometer lately? And I'm not saying you got to be a bucket full of tears every time, but tears ever come to your eyes when you think about Jesus Christ? When you hear... When you hear him sung about, you start singing your guts out to them old hymns. You ever get choked up a little bit? You hear that stuff? Man, I tell you, it breaks my heart. You say, well, yeah, preacher, <laughs> you're a little bit emotional. <laughs> not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of a tear. It continues on with the right demeanor. He weeps. He's brokenhearted over it. Bible says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. When is the last time you wept for a soul? When is the last time you wept over your church house? When is the last time you wept over your family that's lost? Family that's off in the far country somewhere. When is the last time it just tore you slap out of the frame? You got the right demeanor? You know why it's difficult to have the right demeanor in a day like today? Because we're so jaded with television. I mean, good night, you can, it don't matter, you can have the basic cable package or whatever, and uh, it don't matter, you got someone getting their head chopped off or arm chopped off and legs chopped off and people laughing about it, and oh, we're going to shoot zombies today, and, you know, body parts blowing. <laughs> and next thing you know, death isn't a big deal. Death's a big deal. Soon on earth, this life will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. 
You have the right demeanor about you. I'm not talking about you going around and you just like the weeping prophet Jeremiah. Probably wouldn't hurt some of your neighbors to see you cry and be care about something more than your, your stinking property lines and your grass and or whatever it is that irritates you about your neighbors. Amen. But do you have the right demeanor? He, he weeps in verse 4. Notice this in verse 4. He mourns. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4. Of Solomon says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. I'm just saying this morning, the right demeanors, things ought to bother us. Sin ought to bother us. Death ought to bother us. I'm telling you what, uh, what's going on in this world ought to bother us. It ought to desire us to either draw close to Jesus Christ or get out of here. The right demeanor is what it is. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts. The eternal cuss word of the Baptist religion. Verse 4, he fasted. In Matthew chapter 17, 20, you see that faith is connected to prayer and fasting. Maybe our faith would not be so weak. Maybe our power with God would not be so weak if we would be more given to occasional prayer and fasting, willing to give up and willing to harness our flesh and willing to not give it everything it wants so we can get a hold of God. I'm just talking about the right demeanor this morning. We're talking about being able to recognize the need. Christian, you cannot recognize the need if you're not commencing, if you're not being given to routine duty. If you're not doing what God wants you to do right now, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about 30 days from now. Well, what we really think needs to happen in this church is, yeah, you getting here, amen. You reading your Bible and you praying and you drawing close to Jesus Christ and making Him the very center of your life. You can't recognize the need if you won't be given to routine duty and then you're going to struggle if you don't have the right demeanor. Can I give you the third thing I see here? Probably one of the most difficult things in the Christian life is what I'm going to try to preach next. It commences with routine duty. It continues with the right demeanor. And the thing is culminated with a required delay. You say, what is this required delay? Like the, you know, the government sending me my tax refund? Well, that is a delay. It's a terrible investment. They don't even give you interest on it. Amen. That's a required delay. But I'm talking about patience. Old preacher said this, patience is learn best in the school of delay. I hate that. <laughs> you know, some people, I'm, I'm more patient than most. <laughs> Not me, man. <laughs> I want it yesterday. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> call an altar call early. <laughs> it culminates in a required delay. You better laugh about it because the truth is some of you ought to cry about it. A required delay. Can I say this? If you look at verse... and that culminating and required delay, you find that point there in verse 4 that he took certain days. Notice that Nehemiah did not act upon impulse. You see, he delayed. He, he, dra he drug, drug, dragged. He dragged his feet. Thank you. All the grammar Nazis don't kill me. Amen. <laughs> he dragged his feet. He drug his feet. Whatever he did, he slowed down. You see, so many times a Christian, we want to do something for the Lord. I believe everybody here wants to build a life that will please Jesus Christ. But you realize He doesn't want you to do it as fast as you think you need to get it done? You've got to slow down. I hate to use this reference, but one fellow said about, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. 
It's all about accuracy, not speed in the Christian life. You say, oh, preacher, I'm in the winter of my life. Oh, praise God, quit your bragging. You get there sooner than I will. <laughs> Uh, oh, I got to do this. Okay, fine. There, there's an urgency. Uh, there's an urgency to go, but you better make sure you're sent. Get ahead of God and make a big old mess. It'd be like trying to dive in the shallow end of the pool. Amen. But notice this: this required delay. First of all, in verse five, it allows time for the upward look. It allows time for the upward look. Bible says in verse five, "O Lord God of heaven." the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. You know, I see that upward look. Nehemiah just takes time for some simple adoration. I mean, we're missing that. I say we're missing, I'm putting myself in the queue. When is the last time you just went to prayer and just bragged on the God of heaven? Oh, preacher, that's corny. See what I mean? Preacher, that's not see what I mean? A preacher, that's wild. Oh, you see what I mean? That's the upward look. The first look we all do is out. When we are in the right place at the right time, and we're around the right people, and the Lord gives us the right information, and we have the right demeanor, the right thing to do is look up. Lord, you got my attention. Boy, I sure love you. Man, I'm sure glad you came to Calvary and died for all. Why in the world did you die for me? I'm a Gentile dog. I ain't no good. I don't deserve you even to look my way. And I can't believe you even breathe in my direction. What is man that thou art mindful of him? That's the upward look. And Nehemiah takes that time in verse 5 just to adore the very God of heaven. I'm telling you, Christian, we're missing the upward look in our prayer life. If we have a prayer life at all, it's like, it's really good to be here. Now fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. I'm so broke, I cannot pay my bills. (laughs) It's funny, but it's true. Tyler's got talent. Amen. (laughs) But delay allows time for the upward look. I'm trying to help you this morning to be able to recognize the needs. See, we think that we have needs in the Christian life, but I can say most of us do not recognize the real need. Delay allows time for the upward look. Then I want to show you this in verse 6. Delay allows time for the inward look. You see, when you take time for the upward look, you begin to brag on the God of heaven and thank God for who he is and what he did for you. And Oh, thank God for my salvation. Thank you, Lord, for my family. And, oh, thank you, Lord, for my wife. Yes, she should have left me a long time ago. Thank you, Lord, for my children. Thank you, Lord, that they're still alive. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you know that they could be developmentally disabled. I mean, more than they are, but thank you, Lord, they're healthy. See what I mean? And once you start doing that, then the inward look comes in in verse 6. Notice what he does. He switches gears. He goes from the upward look to the inward look. He says, we have sinned. He says, I have sinned. You see that? When you start bragging on God and his righteousness, he shows you, he reveals to you how wicked and how unclean and how ungodly you are, and you immediately feel compelled to confess those things that have offended your God. Delay allows time for the inward look. And notice here in verse 10, after the upward look, and then the inward look in verse number 10, 
he goes to the outward look, which is last. He said, now these are thy servants and thy people. You know what I see here? He goes from adoration to confession and finally to intercession and supplication. He is now interceding on the behalf of his people. He's now supplicating, praying for the needs to be supplied for his brethren. It begins with the upward look, it goes to the inward look, and then lastly is the outward look. But notice here, he waits. Delay allows the Lord to reveal your need to yourself. He's bragging on God, he's confessing his sin, he's praying for his people, and he's giving the Lord time to work. You'll never recognize the need in your Christian life if you're not willing to begin it with routine duty. If you're not willing to do the things that God wants you to do, you'll never see the need. He won't reveal it to you. You say, why? Is he cruel? Is he mean? You're not in the right place. And you won't be in the right place at the right time. And then you've got to have the right demeanor and finally the required delay. There was a prisoner that was pardoned in Russia. Back in 18, well, between 1881 and 1894, I couldn't get a date nailed down. But Maria Fedorovna was the empress of Russia. And she quickly and hastily jotted down the note of her husband, the emperor. And one simple comma and a word misplaced pardoned a prisoner. <laughs> it went like this. It should have been... Pardon impossible, send to Siberia. Incorrectly written down was pardon, comma, impossible to send to Siberia. He said, wow, yeah, amen. Thank the Lord for that mess up, huh? You say, what's that? That's the Christian life. Some of you want to go fast. It's about accuracy. You'd be better to slow down and let God put things in place then speed up, and you mess it up. There's a story told. Uh, I kind of got it honest. I'm a salesman by trade. For almost 20 years, I sold ice cream. And I'm telling you what, uh, I could do it again today if I had to. Why? Everybody loves ice cream. But there's a story told about a vacuum cleaner salesman. And he was new, and he shaved, and he had all that smelly stuff on him. And he was dressed to kill. And he walked up to this brand new set of condominiums going in. And he knocks on the door. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I mean, he's at his first stop at 8 o'clock in the morning. And that young gal opens up the door. And she's in her uh, house uh, coat and all that. And he's got this bag. And he takes that bag, which opens the door, and throws it all over the floor. And he says, ma'am, I'm with such and such and such vacuum cleaner company. And I'm so confident of my product that if uh, my vacuum does not suck up every ounce of that horse manure that I just threw on your brand new carpet, I will eat every bit of it. And that gal, she just started laughing. And she started laughing and slapping her knees. What is the problem? She says, well, would you like mustard or ketchup? We just moved in. We don't have power yet. <laughs> you say, how stupid. No, you get in a hurry, don't you? And next thing you know, you're going, I need some mustard and ketchup with what I just threw out there. It's, 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 it's all about accuracy, not speed. Now, I know that's corny, but that, that, that's good. Amen.
the required delay. You know what you and I hate the most about the Christian life? The delay. Salvation's instantaneous. But to find the need, recognize the need, and to do that which pleases God and build a life for Him will take a lifetime. And I'm telling you what, you don't see the results. That's why some of you get discouraged. You think because you're doing something right today that everything should come together. It doesn't work that way. It's a required delay. Patience is learned best in the school of delay. The great New England preacher Phillips Brook feverishly paced the floor like a caged lion. I don't know how many. He wrote a bunch of songs in our hymn book. P.P. Uh, Brooks, as, uh, you'll see it there. And he was known to have a very good disposition about him, very kind, very pleasant, very patient. But this day, something was really bugging him. And his friend said, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? And he said, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry and God's not. <laughs> that is the trouble, isn't it? What's your hurry? What's your hurry, Christian? William Carey, I'll give you this example. William Carey, he labored seven years before he won his first Hindu convert to Jesus Christ in Burma. Seven years. Seven years. I mean, the Lord gave us a soul within the first seven months. Seven years. Would you stick with it for seven years? I'm telling you what, William Carey is known as the father in the modern missions, Baptist missions. Adoniram Judson, you probably know that, a great missionary, great old soul, won thousands of Jesus Christ toiled seven years before his preaching was rewarded. When he went to Western Africa, it was 14 years before he won his first soul to Christ. Went there and stayed 14 years. See what I mean? It requires delay. In New Zealand, when he was in New Zealand, it took nine years before he won his first soul to Jesus Christ. And in Tahiti, it was 16 years before the first harvest of souls began. I'm showing you that if you're going to recognize the need, it's going to require a delay. It's going to require... De the, listen, the great awakening days are over. The days where people would just run into the church house and throw themselves on altars, the days are gone. Now it takes routine duty. Doing what you know is your duty to do, responding the right way with the right demeanor, and then being willing to go through that required delay. Well, let me show you this one finally, the last one, and we're done. Not only does it commence with routine duty, it continues with the, uh, with the right demeanor, it culminates in a required delay, but notice this the crowning moment, it coronates in a righteous desire for mercy. In verse 11, look what he says. Prosper, I pray thee, this servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Mercy is what you and I need. You realize that mercy was the precursor for your salvation. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. The reason if you're saved today, you're not in the lake of fire right now is because of God's mercy. It's a precursor to salvation. Mercy is what we're to look for. Jude says in verse 21, he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ 
We look for mercy when we go boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. You and I need mercy. And mercy is what you and I should desire at the judgment seat of Christ. I'll have you look at one verse before we close in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1 this morning, verse 18. As it relates to the judgment seat of Christ, you do realize the next event on the Christian calendar is the rapture followed immediately by the judgment seat of Christ. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says this. Talking about, uh, oh, go back to 16. The Lord give mercy into the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Aren't you thankful for some brethren that are still your friends even though you got problems? <laughs> you see that? Onesiphorus, he wasn't ashamed of Paul's problems. Paul's problem was that he was persecuted for preaching the gospel, and Onesiphorus, like, oh, that don't bother me one bit. I, I'm with you all the way. It's all right, preacher, I'm in it with you. He wasn't ashamed of my chain. Notice he refreshed him. Now look what Paul prays. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. Talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He's saying, Lord, when it's time for him to face the judgment seat of Christ, Lord, I pray you just be merciful. Just load him right up. I mean, just let him have it. As chapter 1 closes in the book of Nehemiah, routine duty has set Nehemiah in a place where God can give him a message. Let me tell you what, Christian, you came this morning. You're at the right place at the right time so God could speak to you through his word. You're at the right place at the right time. If something's going on in that head of yours, that's the important information the Holy Spirit is trying to give you. He receives the message with the right demeanor, and he immediately enters the school of delay, therefore giving the Lord time to work and show him the need. You'll never recognize the need if you're in a hurry to fix the problem. Many times the problem is never revealed until we look upward and then inward. Only then the Lord gives us the right outward look. I wonder what your need is today, Christian. We're going to have the pianist come to the piano here. I, I wonder what your need is. Are you faithful to routine duty? I don't know. Maybe we should have just stopped that one and had an altar call. I'll say it again. Are you faithful to routine duty? I mean, you know, faithful to things like God wants you to do, like read your Bible, like praying, like living for Jesus Christ, like serving the Lord. Are you faithful in routine duty? Are you responding the right way to the message that he gives you? Are you willing to be educated in the school of delay? Do you desire mercy this morning? Or say, yes, sir, preacher, only then can you truly recognize the very need of the hour. As she begins to play this morning, I want to invite you to come to this altar this morning and talk to the Lord about the need. Lord, help me recognize the need. You say, what need? The need in my life. The need in my Christian life. The need in my fellowship. The need in my faithfulness. The need of everything. I can't recognize another one's need until I recognize my need first. Would you come this morning? Would you ask the Lord to show you the need? Would you be willing to come? As she plays, you come.